Again, my name is Grant. I'm a volunteer here. One of the things that I, I do, one of the things I really uh, am passionate about and always, every chance I get an opportunity to talk about it, would love to invite you out. Uh, on Sunday mornings at 8 a.m., we have a Bible study that we go through. Uh, we're going through the book of Hebrews right now. We meet in the kids' room right down the hall. Um, I would love for you to come out. It's, it's, uh, it's good, you know? It's, I would say great, but I don't want to set the expectation too high. Um, Anyway, we're going through this, this series called Seven. It's the seven churches, or seven letters, written to seven churches in the book of Revelation. The idea here is simply that Jesus is speaking to John the Apostle, saying, deliver these letters to these churches and kind of let them know what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong, what's happening in these seven churches. Uh, and we've looked at, you know, some churches have been good, some churches have been bad. The church we're going to look at today is the seventh and final letter, the, the church of Laodicea. And this is the church that there is really just nothing good to say about. Uh, it's kind of their, their situation. You know, your, your parents might have told you when you are growing up that if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. Uh, it's not really Jesus' policy here. Uh, he's going to, to say some things. And the reason he does that, he, we'll look at later, it says he's, he's saying these things because he loves them. Uh, but he's going to say this is the problem that, that you have. And of course, when we're looking at all these churches, and, and they're written to seven literal churches that actually existed, but we know because they're the words of Christ and because they're in, in the Bible, we know that uh, there's application that we can receive. There's things that we can look at and see ourselves in these churches. And what happens naturally, and this is kind of the way we are, uh, is we look through and we're like, you know, if we really, like, if I had to be one of the churches, I'd probably be, you know, the faithful church, right? Like, like if I had to say I was one of those, it'd be the one that, you know, Jesus only had nice things to say about uh, and we, we naturally look at these and we're like, oh, at least we're not like those people, right? At least we're not one of those churches. Um, however, we, we want to come before it, and I, I think it's actually this one kind of hits a little close to home for, for me and I think for a lot of us. Um, and so just allowing the Holy Spirit really to, to speak to us, to really cut away the sin in our life and really see what are the issues that Jesus has with Laodicea. And in fact, what's really cool about this one is they are a really bad church and yet they have uh, a really cool promise given to him at the end of it. So we'll, we'll look at those things. This is going to be in Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be uh, in verses 14 on. We're going to finish out this chapter. And so Jesus is going to talk to this church. He's going to say what, he has, what is wrong with this church, but he's going to give them clear instructions on what he desires for them to do. So uh, let's, let's look at what, what Christ wants to tell us. It starts in verse 14. He says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Now Laodicea, there's... there's I'm going to nerd out a little bit here and tell you some, you know, a bunch of historical information that you don't care about, but uh, it matters because all of it's going to be brought up at some point in this letter. Laodicea is just this extravagant, like unbelievably, abundantly wealthy city. It's this way because it's the banking capital or the finance capital of Asia Minor at this point. It's located on a very high traffic travel route. Uh, it's basically, if you wanted to go to a bank, you had to go through Laodicea. And so there's so much wealth, there's so much money in this place. And that really defines throughout history what we know about Laodicea. This is all stuff that you can read in history books. Laodicea is, is sort of infamous for me for being uh, just unbelievably wealthy, unbelievably affluent. They had a lot of industries going on. So one of the industries they had that was really big was uh, black wool. They had these sheep, and still to this day they have these sheep, that are naturally black. The wool that they grow is naturally black. And the reason that that's important, that doesn't seem like you can make much money off that, but uh, what they would do is when they would make you know, clothes, they had to dye them, and the dye was really expensive, and over time they would fade but yet, if you had this naturally black wool, it would never fade, right? We've all been there. You've thrown your tunic in the dryer, and it fades, and you're just so disappointed. Well, that's what, they didn't have that problem. And so people are paying a lot of, a lot of money for this black 
wool. They, they're a big medical center. Uh, they actually had this, this Fergian powder, yada, yada, you don't care. Artifacts, who, what a nerd. Uh, but... <laughs> They had this stuff, and basically, people would travel from across the world to come to this place because they had this this, this ointment called eye salve. And this eye salve, you would uh, put on your eyes, you'd apply to your eyes if you had, like, cataracts or something like that, and it would help you see better. If you're an old-school Tallahassee person, you remember Trust Your Eyes to Dr. Sugar? Uh, This is the Dr. Sugar of the time. (laughs) Maybe three people understand that reference. Uh, and this is one of the things that's really interesting about them. This is, this is how you see, I mean, the amount of money that they had, them funding engineers to come up with these incredible systems. This is like 2,000 years ago. Remember this. They had a, an aqueduct system. And that's crazy, right? You guys didn't seem shocked when I said that. But uh, they had, because of its location, because it was on a trading route, it was kind of in the middle of the desert, they had no water. And so if you have no water, you can't really survive. And so they would pipe in this water. They have uh, the city of Colossae is about 10 miles to the east. The city of Hierapolis is about six miles to the north. And they would pipe water in from these places. And so you can see how much money they have, that they have this, like, groundbreaking technology to, bring, to make this place habitable. There's so many people that live there. And so they're bringing in water from these other places. Now, all these things that I just mentioned are going to be brought up in the letter at some point. I'm not just telling you, like, nonsense about this city. There's other things, too, and I'm not going to talk about them. But basically what's happening here in, in the mood or the culture of this city of Laodicea is they are so wealthy and so comfortable in their own resources and their own strengths and their own kind of monetary value that they find all of their pride in their identity in those things. At least on two separate occasions, we know this historically, there were these earthquakes that, that happened in Laodicea and completely leveled it, completely destroyed the city, at least twice. It's right on a fault line. And both times, the, the Roman government, would, they would always do this with any city, they would offer government assistance. They would say, hey, we will come in, we will help you rebuild, we will fund it. And the Laodiceans had so much pride in their own resources and in their own wealth, they said, absolutely not, we will not take help from anybody, we will rebuild it ourselves. Which you can imagine, I mean, if you've seen news stories of earthquakes, the amount of damage, the amount of money that it costs, that's incredible that at least on two separate occasions, they rebuilt their city because they were like, no government handouts for us, we're doing it ourselves. And that's the culture, that's the mood of this city, of this area, and and that's one thing for a city, but what happens is it it, it kind of uh, crept its way into the church. And, and Jesus doesn't like for us to, to feel like we don't need him, to, to you know, be a, living off our own resources, to be comfortable in what we can provide rather than what he can provide, because that's contrary to what we know is true, that we do need Christ, that Christ is our everything, he is our life. And so this culture crept into the church, and this church kind of had no need for Christ because they could live off their own resources. And we'll see how that has affected the way they think. And, and, and truly, Jesus has some really harsh words to say about them. Their identity was in their own power and their own authority and what they could do. And yet, Jesus does not want the church to do that. And it's easy for us to kind of see that in them, but to, to look at ourselves and say, okay, well, how, how can we look at this for us? So get right into it. Um, he continues in verse 14. He says, The amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. First and foremost, let me, let me say this. Um, it says the amen. A couple weeks ago, we had a uh, worship night, and I was standing in the back, and, you know, by the end, it's kind of funny to look out. Everyone's kind of doing the, you know, the Christian sway and, like, the hands in the air and, and all that kind of stuff, and everyone's getting really into it. Uh, and then as soon as someone starts teaching the Bible, like, everyone clams up, like, deer in headlights, doesn't say a word. Um, and so just completely side note, my goal for the next 
year for this church is for us to be a church that like when you when someone says something when they're teaching that you really like you're like amen you know just just (laughs) shout out that's my dad that just did that so (laughs) you know he loves me um That's funny. Uh, We're Protestants. There's no rules for us, almost. So, (laughs) yikes. Uh, So he says the amen. The amen means, uh, it it literally translates into into let it be so, or or I agree. It's why we end prayers saying amen. It's it's God, your will, not mine. And so the idea here of him saying he is the amen is is what he is going to say has authority and and what it's, it's right, right? Like, let it be so. What you say is true. He says he's the faithful and true witness, which, uh, of course, is the, a legal term for that day. You know, that when someone would give a testimony, when someone would be, like, prosecuting or defending or whatever, that I'm the faithful and true witness, that my word has authority. And then he says this thing that you might have kind of, that might seem kind of weird. He's the beginning of the creation of God, and you're like, oh, that can't be, that's weird because Jesus is God and God wasn't created. Like, what's going on there? What it's actually saying is it's not that he is the first thing that was created. It says he's the beginning of creation. It, it, it coincides with uh, Hebrews 1-2, you can look it up, or Colossians 1, I think it's 16 and 17. Yes, yeah, 16 and 17. Um, it's this idea that we actually prescribe the... the uh, the one that created everything was Christ, that he spoke forth creation. That was kind of one of the responsibilities of Jesus the Christ and, and before anything existed, that he spoke forth creation. And the reason that he's saying that in this letter, the reason he's saying, I am the one that created everything, it's not just him kind of humble bragging here. It's the fact that he's saying, I am the reason that everything exists. I am the reason for everything to exist. And so when I say something, you should listen because I have authority over all creation. I am the purpose for all creation. And so he's really establishing his authority, saying you, you have pride and arrogance in your authority, and yet I am the one who has the authority. If you're taking notes, I know there's precious few of you out there, but... Um, going to throw you a bone here. We're going to look at three kind of sections, three things, three points that uh, we're going to look at in this letter. And the first one uh, is Jesus' issue with the church, the problems that Jesus has with this church. In verse 15, he says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That word, the translation's a little friendly there. Uh, it's more, it's not just like spit, like, oh, gross. It's vomit. It's, it's genuine. That's the last time I use that word because that makes me all squeamish. But um, it's genuinely like so disgusting that it can't exist within him. And that word lukewarm that's talking about is in the nature of the church. It's kind of this apathetic, this compromised, this lackadaisical, don't really care mentality. And what's going on here, this has kind of been debated over time as to what Jesus is trying to say here. Some people suggest that the hot and the cold are the different sides of the spectrum. And so it's like hot, you're like really hot for God or cold. You're like cold to God, you know, like cold shoulder, like completely rejecting it. And he's saying, like, you know, you'd be one or the other, but don't be in the middle. And that's not the case, because what we know is that Jesus doesn't desire for anyone to reject him in the way that nobody desires anyone to reject them. And so that's not what he's saying here. What he's actually doing is he is uh, engaging them in something that they would understand culturally. Right? We said that they don't have a really good water situation there, right? There's no water in the area. And so they would pipe this, uh, this hot water down from Hierapolis. Hierapolis was this big mountain area. Um, they had these natural hot springs. If you've ever been to natural hot springs, they are 
like smell like sulfur. It's really gross. Uh, but they're good for, I mean, hot water is good for certain things. And so they would pipe this hot water down from Hierapolis. And they would also have, uh, Colossae is historically well known for having this really lush, cold, ice cold river valley uh, run right next to it. And so basically when, on your traveling route, you would try to get there because if you made it there, you wouldn't die. And so you would go and it's kind of this world-renowned place of great drinking water. And so they would pipe water in from Colossae as well. And what would happen, this is, historically we know this is one of the biggest complaints of the Laodiceans, is every now and then those two waters would mix. And what happened was the hot water is now no longer hot, and so it's useless. You can't really do anything with it. But now this cold drinking water has been mixed with this mineral water, and you can't drink it because it tastes so bad. And what Jesus is doing here, it's, it's incredible because they would hear this, and they would be like, man, we hate lukewarm water. And he's like, that's you. <laughs> and they're like, oh, <laughs> dang it. In trying to be both things, they became nothing. And what he's saying here is, you were both trying to follow Christ and yet try to seek the pleasures of the world. And in trying to do both, you became absolutely useless. In trying to serve both, you have become useless. It's been said, I don't know who said it, so don't quote it, but it's been said, there is none who is more miserable than the lukewarm Christian because they have too much of the world in them to be happy in Jesus and too much of Jesus in them to be happy in the world. Amen. (laughs) And it's easy for us to see the Laodiceans and say, like, what are you guys doing? But how true is that in our lives? We we want Christ. We say we want Christ. And yet our everyday actions, we're just living to fulfill ourselves, living to do what we want to do. It's this idea of being lukewarm and trying to be both things. They became useless. And this apathetic, you know, we don't really care. You know, like we're Christians, but we're also desiring the things of this world. In fact, they they wanted the pleasures of this world more than they wanted the presence of Christ. And they wanted the promise of heaven without the promises of suffering that Jesus said it would take to get there. That promise of suffering, of course, he's talking about uh, when we live in this world, right, we, we are sinful, we deal with sin, and so the, the, the persecution, the struggle, the suffering that we go through is putting to death the deeds of the flesh and focusing on who God is and on what God has for us, and it's a painful process of becoming, uh, of becoming made perfect through Christ, and what this church is doing and what we do all too often is we say, you know what, I want those promises of heaven, but I don't want to go through the suffering that it takes to get there. You know, I want to be a Christian and I want to love Christ, but like, I also want to, you know, have a nice life. And, and this isn't necessarily saying you can't be rich and it's not saying you can't be wealthy, but it's being so comfortable and finding so much pride in those things that you no longer are relying on Christ. And that's the problem with this church is they're relying on themselves and they're not relying on Christ. And, and how true is that for us? How true of that can you, can you think in your life where your, your prayer life is just not dependent on Christ? Or your worship, when you're worshiping here, you're not depending on Christ. Or just in your life, I mean, man, like, you're grinding out life, and you're getting your responsibilities taken care of, and you're just living, and you look up one day, and you're like, man, I haven't thought about Jesus in so long. I've just been relying on what I can do, and not what he has given me. And so this isn't just a problem with Laodicea, this is a problem that we experience in our own lives. And so that's his issue with the church. The second section we're going to look at is, is what does that actually look like? What are those issues, what do they actually look like? How do they manifest themselves? Uh, and that's going to be in verse 17. He says, 
because you say, I am rich, and remember, they're very rich, just because you say, I am rich, and have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Awful words to describe someone. And the interesting thing about it is that it's not just that, you know, we're rich and we have need of nothing, which what a terrifying thing to say, oh, we have need of nothing. But the thing that they thought was their strength is actually their weakness. Jesus is saying, this is what you think you see in the mirror, but this is what you actually look like. You may think that you are uh, rich and powerful and, and have need of nothing, and yet you are wretched and miserable and blind and poor and naked. Right? Thinking that they were righteous, they were really wretched. Thinking that they were fulfilled in the things of this world, they were really miserable. Thinking that they were rich, they were poor. Thinking that they were able to see, they were blind. Thinking that they were clothed, they were naked. And they took pride in their own strength. And yet, how weak is this church? That's something we have to be careful of, of, of seeing our own weaknesses as strengths, right? Like you might, you're like, oh, I don't, you know, I'm not bitter, I just get even, <laughs> right? Oh, I'm not angry, I'm passionate. Jesus is saying, you are miserable, you are wretched, you are blind, you are poor, you are naked, and the worst part is, is that you don't see it. And so let's let the Holy Spirit speak to us and reveal those things in our lives so we don't make the same mistake. The third section, I'm not going to point it out the next time it happens, so. The third section is, okay, well, what do we do? What do we do about it? Right? It's one thing to point out the problem, but it, it, it takes something else to say, okay, well, here's how you fix the problem. And so Jesus is going to exhort them to do five things. There are five things that Jesus is going to say, this is how you can fix the problem. The first one is buy. In verse 18, you see him say, I advise you to buy gold refined by fire so that you may become rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and the eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you might see. He's saying, buy these three things from me. Now, the first one is gold refined by fire. And if you're not a goldsmith, you might not know this, but the way that you refine gold is you get it and you turn the heat up and you get it really, really hot. And what happens is all the impurities in the gold burn out because the gold can handle way higher temperatures than than the dirt and the impurities that are in it. And so what he's saying is you have always trusted in your bank system, in your financial system, in, in this wealth that you can provide for yourselves, but do not rely on those things. Don't buy gold from your bank banks, buy gold from me that is refined by fire. And, and we see this, actually, you see this throughout the whole, you know, the whole Bible talks about this idea of gold refined by fire. It's talking about these works of those who are Christians, or lives of those who are Christians. And what we can understand here, that the symbolism he's using that they would understand based on the Old Testament texts that they've read, is what happens is when we're living life and we're uh, serving God and we're focusing on God, what happens is God sometimes turns the heat up a little bit and things get a little difficult. We start seeing persecution and we start seeing difficulties and troubles in our life. And those things happen to burn out the sin and the impurities in our life so that we have, we end, the the finished product is this refined gold that Jesus wants to make us perfect. 
And so he's saying, don't buy gold from there. Buy gold refined by fire through me. He also says, uh, white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. You remember they, they had these black tunics that they would sell and that's, that's where they have you know, all their money. But he's saying instead it's white garments. In fact, here's a little uh, interesting piece of information, just irrelevant. But uh, if you ever remember watching like Looney Tunes growing up or whatever, um, and you remember Elmer Fudd would die and he would, you know, his angel would go up into heaven and um, he's not really an angel, but... The reason that when he's looking around, everyone's wearing these white garments and these halos is because it actually comes from the book of Revelation that uh, Jesus' righteousness is, is bestowed upon us like a white garment that, you know, you may have, uh, that his, his blood has washed us white as snow. You're probably familiar with, with that hymn. And so the idea is that the righteousness is given to us, and so we clothe ourselves in these white garments, and then the halo is the crown. If you look forward in the next chapter in Revelation, you see that we're given crowns to, when we're in heaven, and that's where the halo comes from. But the idea here of, of give yourself these white garments, if you were to you know, kind of step back into high school English class, um, we talk about symbolism in, the, in just text. What he's saying here is, you have always tried to uh, rely on the pleasures of this world, and they have, they're dark and disgusting like the garments that you wear, like the garments that you have prided yourself in, you know, your industry and your money and your, the, what you have to offer. And yet what is truly good are these white garments that I give to you, that you cannot give yourself, but that I will freely place on you. That your works are dark and disgusting, but my works laid on you are righteousness. Buy for me these white garments so that your nakedness may be covered. He says in the eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. You see, you think that, that you understand what's going on. You think that you're able to see. And yet what happens with the deceitfulness of sin is it continues to blind us to the promises of God and to what God is doing in us. And we don't see that, that his things are good and these things are bad. Instead, we, we focus on these pleasures and what, what the world has to offer. And he's saying, look to me so that you can see the promises that I have for you. So the first one he says is by. The second one is to repent. In verse 19, he says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Remember we said this, is, this letter might seem harsh, but he's doing it because he loves them. He's doing it because he doesn't want them to be deceived by sin. He doesn't want them to be living in, in the, the horrors of sinfulness and, and of this world. He's saying, those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline and that's such, a good, that's such good news for us because sometimes we feel like God is kind of uh, taking a step back and just letting us do our own thing. And, and yet when we go through suffering and we go through hard times, it's God doing that because he loves us. It's doing that because he wants to reprove us and discipline us. And what does he say? He says, be zealous and repent. And that word zealous, uh, you might not be familiar with what it means. The, I learned what it meant because I played World of Warcraft in middle school and there was a character with that name. And I, so I... Anyway, it's probably not your story. The word zealous is uh, a great energy or enthusiasm. And in fact, what's really interesting is that word uh, that in, the, in the original language, that word there is the same kind of root word as what he used in the beginning when he said, I wish you were hot or you're cold. It's that hot. The idea of zeal or to be zealous is to have this burning desire, this burning passion that just kind of consumes you. And so when he says, I wish you were hot, I wish you were zealous. So be zealous, be burning with that compassion. And what happens so often is, is what happened with this church, what happens in our lives is there was once a moment, uh, you know, some time ago where we burned with compassion for Lord, the Lord, but it's just kind of now it's like, 
we're apathetic. We're just kind of getting through it, right? Tomorrow's Monday, and it's going to be awful, and just kind of trying to get through the day. And he's saying, be zealous. Go back to that burning desire that you had for me. And he says, repent. Repent. Turn away from the sinfulness. Make it so much so that that you don't desire the things of this world. Instead, you only desire Christ. Repent from the things of this world. Turn away from them. Put your back to them and look to Christ. Look to the promises that he has. Look to the things that he has to offer. Repent and turn from your sin. He says in verse 20, this is the third thing. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. The third thing is to open. This is an interesting thing, right? This is something you might miss out on, is that Jesus is outside of this church. He's not in it. He's, he's knocking on the door saying, let me in, and, and he's not even in the church. And that's something that we just, unfortunately, happens in our lives sometimes, where we just kind of kick Jesus out. It's like, oh, I'm taking all this in for myself. Jesus, you can go somewhere else. And he's knocking, and he's saying, I'm, 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 I'm knocking on the door. Let me in. Open the door to me. What's interesting is he's not going to kick the door down. He's not going to, you know, break in because that's a felony. He's saying, open the door and let me come and dine with you. And so, so the third thing he's telling us is, is he's knocking and, and let me in. The fourth one is to overcome. This is in verse 21. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. And he offers for us to sit at his throne with him. When you see this word overcome, the first thing I think of is John 16, uh, 33, when he says, uh, you will have many troubles in this world, but take courage, for I have overcome the world. It's Jesus talking. And what he's saying is you'll have many troubles, right? You're sinful. You're dealing with sin your whole life, and you're going to run into a lot of problems because of it. But take courage, because I have overcome the world. And how did he overcome the world? Well, in his majesty and in his glory and in his splendor of, uh, in the heavenly realm, came down as a baby, came down to the lowest place as a person and lived life like us and, and lived this perfect life. And yet, what, what, how was he rewarded for it? He was taken by the Roman government and by the Jews at the time and strewn across two pieces of wood and nailed and bled and suffocated in the most horrible death you could imagine, and and became a thief among thieves, became iniquity itself, that he had the lowest of the low, you know, way of dying, that he was treated as a criminal. He was utterly destroyed and humbled in front of the eyes of thousands of people. And yet three days later would rise again To say, the world cannot stop me. Death cannot stop me. Nothing can stop me because I am God. I am the ultimate authority. I have overcome. Take courage because I have already overcome this world. And if you overcome with me, if you are found in me, you can overcome too and you can sit at my throne. This is what's incredible about this church or about this letter and about this promise is that this is the worst church Of the seven churches, this is the church that has the most wrong with it. This is the church that is absolutely the most sinful, the most wicked, the least efficient in uh, proclaiming the gospel forward, and yet they have the greatest promise of any of the churches. 
And that should speak to you like it speaks to me because I know my own sinfulness. I know my own wickedness. I know my wretchedness, that I am miserable. I am wretched. I am blind. I am poor. I am naked. I know the depths of my sin. And yet Christ is saying, even though you are so low, you are so miserable, you are so wretched, I have such a great promise for you. Because in bringing those low to salvation reveals the goodness and the glory of God. And so we take courage because he has overcome the world. And he has freely offered for us to overcome it with him. He says, he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father. The last thing he says is simply to hear. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Just hear. Just listen to that knock and open the door. Just listen to the word of God and repent from your weaknesses and from your errors. Listen to him saying, I have overcome and you can overcome too. With a room this big, I never know your stories. I don't know where you come from. I don't know how, you know, what sort of belief system you grew up in or where you're at. Uh, I know for many of you, probably you've never, you've never really opened that door to Jesus, right? You've heard the knocking or maybe you hear the knocking now and you've never really opened the door to him. Maybe you have, maybe you did once upon a time and yet you're kind of going through a season of life and it's just, it really does feel like Jesus is kind of on the outside, and you're saying, man, I really am trying to both please Christ and please myself to, to look to his promises and to look at, at the, the pleasures of this world. And in trying to do both, I have become nothing. I've become useless, like that water that we could do nothing with. I don't know where you are, but, but I know this is true, that Jesus is standing at the door knocking and he is offering this great promise for us to overcome with him. And he simply says, he who has an ear, let him hear. And he's not going to, you know, break it down. He's not going to, you know, force himself on us. That it's, it's this great opportunity that we get to take part in. We just have to hear and open that door. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the fact that even when we are in sin, even when we are lukewarm, when we're apathetic, when we're one foot in, one foot out, that you love us enough to speak to us. Lord, that even in our sinfulness, you love us enough to make us a promise so great as to overcome this world. Jesus, you are so good and you have paid a penalty that we ourselves were incapable of paying on our behalf because you love us so much. Holy Spirit, speak to us, reveal to us in our lives those ways in which we are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Reveal our weaknesses so that we may be strong in who you are. We may bring glory to your name, that we may seek and rely on who you are, Christ, that we don't take pride in what we have to offer, but instead look to he who is offered so much more abundantly than we could ever imagine. Jesus, thank you so much for every person in this room, and I, I just pray for every heart, for, for the hearts out there and for my heart as well, Lord, that, that we can just open that door and let you come in and, and take control of our lives and take over and, and, and 
Lord, that we repent of our sin, we repent of these, these filthy things this world has to offer, Lord, and instead rely on your promises. The promise that you have already overcome. That death can't stop us, Lord, but we will one day get to sit in your presence and rejoice and sing and praise and love you. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done. In your name, amen.